as we get into summer, um, different people are going to be in and out doing the teaching. Chip's going to begin doing some of the teaching in two weeks, so I'll do this week and the following week. Then Chip's going to take two or three weeks, and we'll see how things go there. And we've hired a new staff person um, who will be asked to do some of the Wednesdays. He'll probably uh, be coming sometime after the first part of July. So for the summer, I'm going to be dealing with various issues of the wisdom literature of the Scripture. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about Jesus' wisdom today and our being spiritually wise. Jesus' wisdom and our being spiritually wise. Let's pray. Now, Father, thank you again for our food, for our fellowship, and the time to look at your word and to think of the things of Jesus as it relates to the way he would be our teacher, that he would nurture our lives. And so we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would use the word that has been inspired to be illuminated into our hearts and minds. We do pray for people that are close to us, that are in need, and we pray that you would be with them to give them the answers to their prayers. And, Father, where many of us have deep prayers for loved ones and friends, that you would hear our prayers and you would sustain them both physically but especially spiritually to eternal life. Now, be with this nation of ours as we go through constant turmoil and upheaval. May the people that follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that are serving our nation in places of government, in every level from high to low, may you give them great encouragement. May they be faithful, bold, and true. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we look at the wisdom literature in the Scripture, in the Old Testament, the spiritual life of the people of God was basically regulated by the blending of three perspectives. Now, one of the perspectives would be the perspective of the Old Testament prophet, whether it would be all the way back to Moses, who was the greatest of the prophets, to one of the prophets like Elijah or Elisha, who were speaking prophets, or one like Isaiah or one of the minor prophets who wrote their prophecies. And these people were seeking to regulate the spiritual life of the people of Israel through the use of the law of God. Then you had, of course, the priests. The priests were regulating the uh, spiritual life of God's people according to all the sacrificial system. The law helped the people to understand God's holiness, their sinfulness, the priests and the sacrifices bridged the gap between man's fallenness and God's holiness. And so through the priests, they had the cleansing of sin and the restoration of fellowship. And then there was the perspective of the king. 
And the king regulated the spiritual life of the people of Israel primarily through their wisdom. And so you have these three perspectives in the Old Testament, and they're constantly being blended into the life of the people of God. Now, when you come to the New Testament, all of these things then are subsumed in the person of Jesus. We talk about Jesus, we talk about the three offices of Jesus, and those would be that Jesus is our great prophet, our great priest, and our great king. All of those things found their perspective, and then all of them are mediated to us in and through Jesus. But when we look at the one that relates to the king, the wisdom, and we're thinking right now about the wisdom of Jesus, you see in the Old Testament that you have these books. So one of the principal writers of the Psalms was King David. His wisdom is portrayed there. And then from the hand of Solomon... We get much of the book of Proverbs. We receive the book of Ecclesiastes. And then there is that book that we call the Song of Solomon. And so these reflect this whole aspect of the kingship and the wisdom of God coming to us. Now, when we come into the New Testament, and when we especially come to the Gospels, There's one gospel more than anything, more than any one of the other three, that, as it were, portrays Jesus as Israel's great king. And that is the book of Matthew. And so when you look at the book of Matthew, it's interesting. Matthew and Luke are constantly referring back to Solomon. He says, well, Matthew can quote Jesus' words and say, you know, the queen of Sheba came all the way here to Jerusalem to understand the wisdom of Solomon. And then Jesus says, but a greater than Solomon is here. And then he can say, Solomon in all of his glory, the glory of Solomon. Now, a lot of times we paint Solomon with a bad brush. You see, we think... Well, we know about Solomon. Solomon's the dude that had all the wives and all the concubines, and so we think we've got Solomon figured out. But we don't have Solomon figured out by any stretch if we think of him in that way. Jesus only speaks of Solomon in the superlative. It's Solomon in all of his glory. Look at the lilies of the field. Solomon in all of his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. And so repeatedly we see this aspect in Matthew of the emphasis on the wisdom and the glory of Solomon. Now Solomon wrote, that's a thing that we understand. Solomon wrote. He wrote out much of the book of Proverbs. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He wrote for us the Song of Solomon. 
Solomon saw himself as a mediator, a mediator between God and the people, and it was Solomon's call to bring the wisdom of God to the people of God. Now, again, when we look at the person of Jesus, we see that what Jesus has done is he has sat down at various places and times during his ministry, and he called his disciples to him. With the disciples came many followers, and then it says Jesus opened his mouth and he spoke to them. Now, I'd like to read just a couple of different passages here in reference to this. From Proverbs, it says in the first chapter, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Now, I don't like to change the scriptures or distort the scriptures, but I do want to suggest that there's a way that we could look and think of what Jesus is doing on the Sermon of the Mount. And we could say, the teaching of Jesus, the son of David, the king of Israel. Very similar ideas here in Jesus and in Solomon. Now, as we see here in verse 2 and following, Solomon says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, in equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, and then he begins the motto of the whole book, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the book of Proverbs comes to us, and if you look at this language that's at the beginning, I think, I think it would be very difficult for just about anybody that I have ever come in contact with. And this takes a broad range of people to make a statement like this. I, I'm sure that if, if I was to take some of the brightest people that I've ever met and ask them, write a comparable paragraph to verses 1 through 6 of Proverbs. I think most of the people that I have been familiar with in my lifetime would look at those first six verses and say, I can't do that. I'm not that good. When you look at the language that's here, how compact it is, but it's not in any way repetitive, how illustrative it is without ever doing anything that you would say seems out of step with the direction and thought. This is tremendous literature when you read these first six verses. It's an example of Solomon's wisdom. Now, when it says here that 
this is the offer. This is constantly being offered to the person that wants wisdom. So wisdom cries in the street. Wisdom calls out in the open square. Now, whenever someone goes out to speak in the street or to announce things in the open square, the person that does that is inviting everybody. Now, I was talking with some people yesterday about master's tickets, okay? Do you realize that there is a St. Andrew's scholarship, golf scholarship? Anybody know about it? Anybody know where it's at? It's at Georgia Tech. You can get the St. Andrew's golf scholarship. Well, if you get the St. Andrew's Golf Scholarship, guess what goes with it? Four badges to every day at the Masters. How'd that be? That'd be a pretty nice scholarship to have in the bag, wouldn't it? But if you're the St. Andrew's Scholar and you get this golf scholarship thing, you know what you get to do? You come as Georgia Tech's representative into a special room that meets only during the tournament days, and you make a brief presentation to the attendees. Now, does that sound like wisdom crying out in the streets? Does that sound like wisdom crying out to the open squares? I don't think so. <laughs> That's the elite speaking to the elite. Wisdom isn't ever like that. Wisdom's for everybody. Um, I've used an illustration of a common man that came into Scotland and to a, a Presbyterian church. He could not read. He was so basic that the job that he was given where the lowest position in the foundry was that of a worker he was made a worker's assistant. He was so backwards. But as this man matured and stayed in the Presbyterian church, later in life he became the counselor of university students and especially students in the uh, areas of law and medicine. And the pastor said one of the most remarkable evenings that he ever remembered from his time in that church was at a prayer meeting where this same backwards basic man in his older years got up to pray and as he addressed God he said, O thou who makest wise the simple. Wisdom is open to everyone, not merely to the elite. Now, when you look at this, this whole idea is, is then, as we're seeing, the promise of wisdom is amplified in the sense that the teaching and instruction will become a graceful wreath about the head of the person and will become like ornaments around their neck. A person who openly and 
joyously pursues the wisdom of God in the scripture is promised a greatness of life. Now, in contrast, is also a stark, stark warning. If you hear the call to wisdom, if you hear this and you refuse, you refuse wisdom's call, the result ends up being a ruined life now and for eternity. So you're beginning to see where God's wisdom is open to everybody and people who pursue it are going to be greatly enriched. People who reject it are going to find their lives becoming shipwrecked. Now, Jesus. Jesus is, as we have said, the summation of the spirituality of the Old Testament in one person. He is the true prophet, priest, and king. And so when Jesus comes, his speaking is in absolute perfect harmony with the things that we have just spoken about concerning these opening, opening verses here uh, in the book of Proverbs. Now, if we were to ask somebody what is, in most people's minds, the greatest teaching that ever Jesus brought, most every one of us is going to come down on it was the Sermon on the Mount. Well, what we need to see is that every aspect of the Sermon on the Mount conforms. Jesus just didn't get it and then give it. Jesus got it by mastering it, and then after mastering the wisdom literature, the messages of the prophets, and the messages of the priests, then Jesus spoke. Out of the heart of Jesus came, mediated through the one person, the full spirituality of the Old Testament. Now, as Jesus speaks in, in the, the book of Matthew, in Matthew 5 through 7, you, you come to the end of his message. So now we're getting a summary from Matthew of how Jesus ended this sermon. So listen to what Jesus says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to what kind of a man? What do you think? A wise man. You see it? Everyone who hears this teaching of mine and acts upon it will be compared to a wise man. In other words, he is going to live in the tradition of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And he will be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house, yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. In contrast, 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, he will be like what kind of a man? Foolish. The opposite of the wise man in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is the fool. And if you don't listen and act upon Jesus' words, you are going to be a foolish man. The rain's going to fall in the same way. The floods are going to come. The wind's going to blow. It's going to slam against that house, and it will fall, and its fall will be great. Now, Jesus said in the language just two, three verses in front of all of this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So you see here, there is a way forward in life that is listed by Jesus, and it is the way of wisdom. And we need to be pursuing this. Again, Jesus' words are open to everybody. Jesus' words are not like the young man with the St. Andrew's scholarship at the Masters golf tournament. Now, as we think about Jesus' words here, it begins in Matthew 5. Jesus saw crowds. When it talks about the crowds that Jesus saw in Matthew 5, it takes in all of those people that he had dealt with in the previous chapter, those people who were lame, those people who were blind, those people who were diseased, those people who were broken because of all kind of malady. Jesus healed them all, and when Jesus healed them all and they went out and told people that Jesus was able to do these things for them, what did the people do in mass? They came to him. Now, that was a wise act on their part. I mean, if we've got a disease or we've got a friend with a disease and we knew that there was somebody that could actually totally correct it, What would we do? We would get those people to that person like right now. That's what these people did. But Jesus parried that. Jesus parlayed that. And what he did was this. He says, now you've seen everything I can do externally. Now what I'm here to do is to tell you what I can do for you Internally, where I can change your physical condition, I can equally as well change your spiritual condition. And that's what he does. So as he begins, these people come to him, they sit down, and he begins to teach them, and then you begin to see the range of people that came to Jesus. There were people who were poor in spirit. There were those kind of people that mourned. There were those kind of people that were just gentle, sweet kind of people. You know those kind of people that the world can just run over? 
those kind of people. They came to Jesus. There were those who were knowing that there was something missing, and they didn't know exactly what it was, but they were hungering and thirsting for it. There were the kind of people there who had probably experienced a lot from a lot of people, and instead of hardening them, it made them merciful people. And then he lists a bunch more. Now, these people came to Jesus. Jesus received them all. Got them escaping here. What time is it? All right, I've got a couple more minutes. What are we to make of Jesus' wisdom? First, it's to every class of person. Nobody's left out. We're invited. Look at the variety of here. There are two things about all these people. You've got all this variety. But what are the two things that are in common with all this variety? Because there's two things that transcend everything else in this list. The first thing is the act of coming to Jesus. That's the common core here. And the other common core is all those people who came to Jesus with all of their diversity, Jesus actually blessed. Um, We look at our world today. Today, right now, early in the afternoon, we're in the mix between the time of which Dr. Phil has been on this morning and Oprah has been on this morning, these two people are wise and get that crowd. This afternoon, the crowd will be, a different crowd though, will be delivered over to Rush. And later in the day, it will be turned over to Fox and to other people. What are all these people doing? Think about it. Do you remember what Oprah did when she was in town? You remember one of the things she did that was kind of got everybody a Twitter? You remember? She had somebody drive her through the community, and she just stopped. She got out of the car. She went up, rang the doorbell, knocked on the door. And what did she want to know? Are you watching Oprah? And if you were watching Oprah, what happened? She dumped good stuff in abundance upon you. She blessed you real good. All right, but why are they all watching? Because throughout our society, there are people with great needs. And these people with great needs are going to these people day in and day out with the hope, a common hope, that some word is going to drop from the lips of those people to whom they're listening and giving attention that will in some way lessen the misery and the grief of their life. This common, common experience for us today. What is it that we need to be doing? Well, the principal thing that we need to be doing is bringing all of our problems to Jesus. 
What did Jesus do, no matter what the problem that was brought to him, what did he do when they brought the problems to him? He blessed them. He blessed these people. That's what we need to see. We come to Jesus this way, two, two basic ways. We come to listen. Just like these people listening to Dr. Phil, etc., we come and look at his word day by day and read it. And as we read his word with the idea that we've got ears to hear, the Lord's going to speak to us and he's going to speak to our condition. And when he speaks to our condition, he's going to speak to our heart. And he's going to give us hope and he's going to give us his promises and with his promises his power and with his power the sense that will brace our souls of the truth and we're going to get up and be able to move through the day even though the problem's still there. The other thing that we're able to do is we're able to unburden. We're able to not merely speak to the air, we're not speaking to a counselor or a doctor, Phil, but we're speaking to Jesus. And he has the awesome power of a listening ear, and he actually hears. But he doesn't merely hear what we say. He hears the entirety of what it is is the need. And as we bring our problems to him, we find that he takes casting all our burdens on him, the scriptures say, because he cares for us. Now, I'm going to end with just the story of Mark. <laughs> I wish you could have known Mark. Mark was dumped on me. So I ran a dormitory at college. And you know, when college is over, there's a lot of people that graduate that just don't have the ability to thrive. Mark. And there was Mark. He's graduated. He's doing something on the college campus because he really doesn't know where to go. <laughs> he's, he's gotten to where he, he, he's there. It's a safe place. So Mark's working on college campus. He's not making any money. They want to help him. They want to keep him. So they give him an empty men's dorm room to live in. I'm running the dorm how you doing Mark I guess I'm okay what you gonna do this weekend I don't know I guess I'll just hang around here how's it sound he was engaged to a PCA pastor's daughter guess what the PCA pastor did about that well, that was an engagement that wasn't broken by the man. One day, Mark heard that this guy had a job for him. Christian man. Mark's been pouring his heart out to the Lord. Got all kinds of Christian people that love him or for him. Mark's there. Church, Sunday morning. Mark's there. Sunday school. Mark's there, career group, Mark's there, everything. This man gives him a job. 
old man's wife dies. Mark's there. Old man's coaching Mark in the business. Mark's there. Old man's got no family. Man gives Mark the business. Now all of this, Mark has been going, but why is he doing this? It's because he's in church. He's in the Sunday school. He's in the college group. He's in the career group. He's in the age-appropriate group. His life is growing like this. Well, let's fast forward. Since my son's 33, and he was born at the end of our fifth year, fourth year, that makes 37 years ago that I met Mark. Five years ago, I walked into a mission to the world. That's our denomination's missions agency. There's Mark. Mark's got a wife. Mark's strolling around. One piece person from the PCA boards walk. How you doing, Mark? What are you interested in this year, Mark? Well, blah, 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 blah. He goes over here. This is totally different Mark. Totally different Mark. Mark's a millionaire. <laughs> Same Mark is a millionaire. <laughs> How'd that happen? I can tell you the primary way it happened. Mark stayed with Christ. Mark was nurtured by Christian people. I know Mark somehow in God's way God gave Mark all of this. And who nobody that knows Mark can understand it. But it's still the same Mark. And Mark doesn't act like a millionaire. And he writes big checks to world missions every year. And to people that help people. It's an amazing story. O thou who makest wise the simple, blessed are those people who come and bring it to Jesus, reading his word, offering their lives to him, and praying. God does that. He does it in a thousand different ways, appropriate for every single person. And he makes our lives a reflection of his wisdom. Father, bless and keep us. Help us to see these things and to become increasingly more dedicated followers of Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.